This is the one with Paris B-roll. A level five civilization. A Gallifreyan egg timer. And half a dozen escargot beer, followed by an intercourt bordelaise with haricot beer and pommes sauté. <laughs> it's called City of Death. Here, Here we, we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Thalent, Boot, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. <laughs> Correctamundo. Who is that I hear over yonder in Berlin? If not Jim. Hello, Jim. It is I, Jim. <laughs> oh, hello. From Berlin. <laughs> and Who here, am I saying? <laughs> here in Oxford, it is I, Leon. And today we are talking about City of Death, C-105. Holy moly. Yes, another Douglas Adams joint. Yeah, this one feels like his hand is in it. (laughs) Oh, so much. (laughs) Does that mean that you liked it? I'm going to assume yes. Yes, I like this one. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) But you could tell. Do you remember when we did Seeds of Doom with the uh, gigantic plant monster and all that stuff? Yeah. And I said, Seeds of Doom is one of at least two serials that I will just straight up want to give a 5.0 without even rewatching them. <laughs> this was the other one. Nice. Mm-mm. But now I have rewatched it and we are about to probably tear it asunder whilst praising it at the same time. So who knows? Quite possibly. Time will tell. Time will tell. Yeah. So how about we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who, summarize this for anyone who against... <sighs> any likelihood has not seen this, does not know what this is about, and so that we can get right into it. That's an awesome idea. All right, here we go. Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize, so take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free-for-all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The Fourth Doctor and Romana too rather serendipitously arrive in Paris, where they take in the sights and sounds and both instigate and expend the BBC's full stock of Parisian B-roll. When visiting the Louvre, however, they stumble upon an apparent plot to steal the Mona Lisa and are soon embroiled in an intertemporal forgery scheme. Count Carlos Gaglioni is in fact Scaroff, the last of the Jagaroff. His personality was splintered in time, and he has solicited the services of Professor Karensky to develop time travel tech that will allow him to go back and reassemble himself. That sort of engineering doesn't come cheap, however. And if you think about it, there's really only one reasonable way of financing it. B-Scout over. You are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you just? So, my first question I noted down was, how much did the Paris Tourism Board pay for this episode? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for part one of four. I mean, there's... It's like 90% (laughs) B-roll. I mean, I'm a super big fan of Douglas Adams' writing, so it's kind of a pity that he did so little of it for part one. (laughs) I mean, for 20 minutes, you just see them running around the sights and sounds of Paris, which is nice. It's charming. But (laughs) after those 20 minutes, back in the day, you had to wait a week until the next episode. Yeah. (laughs) That's a fair point, actually. (laughs) 
don't know, there's still a lot that happens in the first episode, I think. That is true, yeah. Well, apparently this is the first time that they filmed abroad on Doctor Who. Yeah, I read and, that as well, yeah. And they were not in any way well known outside of the UK, certainly not in France. So people had no idea who they were. It seems to be filmed slightly guerrilla style. There are a few shots where Parisians are just straight up staring down the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I noted down a few kind of like, okay, someone's trying to be super artsy here, like shooting through a postcard rack to see oh, yeah. like <laughs> towards the camera. And it's like, I get it. Yeah, you're in Paris. You're feeling a bit quirky and artsy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, I, I can't take it as a negative. Absolutely not. They embraced the fact that they got to film in Paris and just had a bit of fun with it. And it, it kind of pays off. I don't know. I think so, yeah. I think so. But I would have probably... I mean, if I'm going to mark this down from my, spoiler alert, starting point of 5.0, if I'm going to mark this down for anything, it, it is probably because the first episode is very light on plot. It's a very pretty episode. It really sets the tone. And you can genuinely see... Tom Baker and Lala Ward having fun. But that's it. Like, there's there's not much else. Did, uh, yeah, they go to the Louvre, I guess. We meet Duggan in part one. But, like, they don't do stuff there. No, you're right. It's, it's very much setting up. I guess we pretty much meet every character, I think, in episode one. So, But then some of it's subverted a bit. And obviously, we don't know that we've met. That's true. Yeah. Who we've met, sort of, in a way, you know. But, yeah, I think it's kind of a nice nice opening, in a way. It's it's a proper first ten minutes of a, a film, sort of thing stretched out a little bit <laughs> you know yeah that's true yeah there's a lot of nice little details in the episode though oh um, yeah like what well i guess it's through the whole serial but they go they're in paris they go, obviously it's about the mona lisa and and the louvre but you know i noticed that i think it was maybe a couple of episodes back doc had a particular thing on his lapel he oh, started yes. wearing brooches this time around he had little art supplies yes i saw yeah there's like yeah. a um a palette with uh some i guess like paint tubes or something on it yeah i think that's exactly it and you were mentioning about how they uh the actors seem like they're having fun. Like Doc is saying that they're on holiday, which is kind of them excusing the fact that they're using all this <laughs> running around footage. It's like, you know what? They're, they're not here to investigate something. They're just kicking back and Doc's showing Romana Paris. He's like saying, look, look at all these great things the humans do. Look, they made Paris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is true. Also among my top notes, how serendipitous is it that they arrive in Paris? Because they're now operating with the randomizer. This is the TARDIS oh, yeah. that has just gone like, you guys deserve a holiday. <laughs> you guys have probably started dating off screen at this point. <laughs> and do you want to oh. go to Paris? <laughs> I totally forgot about the random thing. Yeah, fair point. Ah. Do you think it means that they're on a very extended holiday and this is but, but one stop? Like, previously they were on a beach on some other world, you know? Very possibly. Yeah, ju <laughs> let's just wait and see what happens in the next one. The next one I don't think I've seen, by the way. Ah, cool. Mm. So do we have... Okay, hang on. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Why this elaborate forgery scheme? <laughs> I don't I don't care. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. I know. I absolutely love it to bits. But wouldn't it have been easier if past Cabbage Face had just invested in property, for example? <laughs> or just straight up used tech to make a copy of the Mona Lisa as opposed to make an artist have to forge his own work. Like Just because it's the same artist does not mean that every copy of it is going to look absolutely identical. <laughs> and like, how much duress is Leonardo under? Like, is he being watched like a hawk? Is is he able to just scribble a three in the corner? You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, wait, hang on. We need to we need to break this down. Shall we start by going through the characters? Sure. Yeah. Pick Who one, do you want? To... Pick one to start with. Your choice. Let's start with a fairly mundane one, shall we? Kerensky. Kerensky. What a guy. <laughs> 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 the inventor of time travel, ostensibly. <laughs> on earth like the foremost expert on time travel related engineering temporal engineering in general perhaps yeah who thinks he works for scaglioni to (laughs) accelerate the growth and maturation of um, like chickens and cattle and (laughs) (laughs) but hasn't considered that if you just flip a switch his exact same technology which is in his mind literally just to turn eggs (laughs) into chickens that can also be used to travel back in time millions of years (laughs) it seems like there are better ways to invest this knowledge (laughs) you know yes I mean, it's a bit if, wasted. Absolutely yeah, wasted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even I mean, I, I laud his his motivations to want to end starvation, but there are also better ways of doing that if you have access to time travel and you have the means of manipulating history. Just travel back in time, plant a few seeds here and there, travel forwards in time, and there's now like there are crops, you know. You make a very good point about using time travel in a very different way. But also, why is it chicken? Like <laughs> this seems like very early experimentation. Like, don't start with a chicken <laughs> do it with an apple or something <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> some kind of plant yeah <laughs> that's such a good point i don't really understand kerensky i don't i also don't really understand why kerensky is no i don't i don't get it why is he working for him why is he not doing all he needs is money to do his research but his research is clearly like super duper on the forefront anyone would pay for this how did he end up working for some crazy aristocrat mafioso from outer space? I don't know. <laughs> and I guess the big question, I'd, I've been trying not to think about what plot holes might be in this because I had super fun watching this serial. Oh, good. I'm glad. But this is an alien that comes from a race that existed, was it 400 million years before? I think so, uh, yeah. Present day, well, present day 1979. But when you're talking millions of years, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, he exists in 12 periods of time at once. He has manipulated the course of human evolution yes by his own. inadvertently inadvertently oh no i think he admits he's poked human evolution so they get to the point where his virus flung incarnation can do what he needs to do oh i see where he is as wealthy as possible i took it to be that like mankind wouldn't have been as intelligent as he needed them to be oh unless really he oh i missed this thing. yeah i forget the exact phrasing he used but that's the impression i got but yeah I, I don't quite understand why he needs the help of this scientist like if he can do all of that if he can tweak it up, like well i'm gonna make it so this this race of people that don't exist their primordial soup when i landed on this planet will get themselves up to the point where they can help me it's like what <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and also, I mean, Kerensky has no idea how to tweak his own tech into a time travel device. True. Right, so that is all Scaglioni. Yeah. Yeah, which... But then which Scaglioni I, doesn't know how to stabilize either. I'm sorry? Scaglioni doesn't know how to stabilize it either. That You know, he needs Romana's help. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's very so, true. Maybe he's just a bit shit. Like, he did press a button and blow up his <laughs> spaceship trying to leave the planet, you know? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, maybe he is. <laughs> At a certain point, he does say that he is the very last of his species, of the Jagaroth. Yeah. And in going back, reassembling himself, 
he will stand a chance at possibly saving his species. Was his species, like, were they on that spaceship that exploded? This I wasn't too clear on. Like, it seemed to be someone was talking to him through a communicating device. Yeah, exactly. He's absolutely communicating with someone. He's the only person in the cockpit. And I I think first time around, I watched that scene and thought, he's the only person on that spaceship. But that may not be the case. Hmm. I have no idea. I thought he was in a separate spaceship, to be honest with you, in the beginning. And, oh, and by the way, I remembered almost every Everything about this episode, but not the beginning. I did not remember ever seeing him 400 million years ago at the very start of this episode of this serial. Uh, I thought the first time that we get to see him was that reveal at the end of episode one. But with that, to me now completely new scene in mind, I thought. I think you're probably right, actually. But my impression was that he was in a separate spaceship and his buddies were in that massive, beautiful, by the way, the miniature, the the spaceship that had been ball with legs, gorgeous miniature, that his buddies were there and that they blew up and that explosion somehow sent him through time. So so he was just on a separate ship nearby that we don't see? Yeah. I think I'm probably wrong. I think you're probably right. But, okay, so maybe, maybe they were all on that spaceship he's the only one who's been splintered as far as he's aware and he now wants to prevent the spaceship from taking off because then it'll explode and all of his compadres along with it yeah i'm just i pulled up the dialogue actually it's not clear (laughs) (laughs) okay a second time like they're talking to him that he is their only hope like the jaguar are in your hands okay you know this scaroff it is our only hope you are our only hope like i don't know it's really weird and then the last thing off camera is help us scaroff help us the fate of the dragon is with you help us scaroff you are only hope all, all of this, you know, yeah, I don't and then think they that's... go... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But yeah, is, is it that they're, they're needing him to successfully launch? Or is it... I, I don't know. I'm very confused about it. Maybe. I mean, it, <laughs> this is re- retro rewriting stuff, but I mean, very possibly in their final moments before they explode, they also realize that he will be splintered across time and he will somehow survive. And they go, well, we're going to die. The only person who will possibly stand a chance at saving us is you. So, uh, you know... Do what you can. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe it is. No, maybe you're right. No. I'm sure someone on the Twitter sphere can correct us afterwards. <laughs> Related to the original question that brought this on, who is Kerensky and what about him and so on and so forth, Kerensky was played by David Graham, whom we have encountered on Who Back When Before. He was Johnny Ringo in The Gunfighters. And he has also played about a million Daleks across Classic Who. But in addition to that, he also voiced a ton of Jerry Anderson characters Characters, including Gordon Tracy, Brains, Parker, Kirano, or Kirano, sorry. Uh, he even wrote an episode of Thunderbirds, The Abominable Snowman. No way. Yeah, that's David Graham. Cool dude. Yeah, what a, what a chap. What a chap indeed. Yeah. I lift my glass to you, sir. <laughs> yes, I raise, uh, raising a beaker to David Graham. <laughs> right, who's next? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we were talking a lot about Scaroff and Scarlioni. Shall we? Yeah, go for it. Dive into it. Yeah, take it away. Poke, poke is uh, one. I agree on. I'm sorry. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> well, he's pretty cool. He's pretty badass. Absolutely. Very debonair. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to. <laughs> 
about how to deal with it. <laughs> okay, here are a few questions for you about <laughs> about Scaglione. And then let's okay. definitely put a pin in the actor, Julian Glover, because a legend, absolute legend. But So he is a cabbage cyclops. That's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, ish, right? He is a cyclops. He has one eye in the middle of his face. Yeah. Then he puts on a plastic mask with two yeah. fake oh. eyes. <laughs> yeah. Are there mirrors inside that mask that allow him to see through two eye holes? Or <laughs> or does he just not see anything? That's question one. Wait until he I does get, get to question two. A couple times, mate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. No, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> That's good. Question two. Okay, question two. He's married, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, does he wear... Okay, so as the... F- you know what I'm getting at. Does he, does he also wear... I had to say... <laughs> The way that his mask, which he takes off in at the end of part one, for no reason whatsoever, because seconds later he walks out into the adjacent room with the mask back on. The way that he puts it on as a, shall we say, head condom, does he also wear something similar on the rest of his body? Or does he I, genuinely just look like, does his species just look like a human, like a human being, but with a cabbage cyclops head? Ooh, that's an interesting thought. Because maybe that's it, and all do he has he... to do is always wear like an ascot to hide the border. It would be a bit weird to be normal <laughs> pinky skin and flesh and then up, up, up in the brain department it's all just cabbage. Cabbage and one eyeball. I mean, yeah, what are your I thoughts on this? I don't know how the Count and Countess are meant to have led. I, don't, I mean, maybe they're just not intimate. Maybe they have a, a very different relationship. Yeah, it's very possible. But I don't think you get that impression. No, I mean, I, I'd assume that even if Let's say he goes, well, I was in the war and I was damaged down there. I, I don't ever want to take off my clothes in front of you. Or like, I, I'm sorry, my, my dick does, just doesn't work anymore. But he really does seem like the kind of guy who's like holding a martini glass in one hand whilst making out with his countess wife. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and like twirling a Gutenberg Bible in his other hand at the same time. I mean, this guy is the most debonair chap around. <laughs> there is no way he has not been doing something. He must have courted her in some way. Yeah, and and it's not just this. Uh, it didn't really occur to me before. It's not just this incarnation. There are eleven other versions of him. We get a minor little montage thing. That's about, true. Like, do, do any of those have partners? Like, you know, is this happening in different guises or different okay. time frames, different places? Okay, here's a question for you. How did he manufacture an incredibly realistic mask in Renaissance Italy? <laughs> <laughs> And why does it look Maybe exactly it's... the same? Why do the masks look the same? Why does he look like Julian Glover across time? Oh, that's a good point. Ooh. There's no reason for him to do yeah, that. Yeah. I guess, well, but no, there's not any reason, is there? In fact, there's a reason not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Someone <laughs> accidentally discovers that you existed throughout the eon. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Like, he, he can communicate with himself in... I, I think it's a voluntary fashion. I don't know. It seemed a little bit involuntary. It's almost like... Uh, one of one of the splinters wanted to have a phone call and no one else can not answer, not pick up, you know. That's <laughs> it's true. Like, it's like, no, look, I'm driving a car. No, don't do it now. We're going <laughs> to crash. <laughs> call me back. <laughs> <laughs> one guy 400 million years ago who's like fashioned a mobile phone out of rocks. <laughs> it's like really trying to call my future self. But... <laughs> 
Julian Glover, absolute ledge. Uh, we have encountered him on Who Back One before as well. He was uh, Richard the Lionheart in a serial I think was called The Crusade or The Crusaders, something to that effect. The um, Crusade I'm seeing here. Crusades? Yeah. Yep. Okay. He was General Veers in Star Wars. He's uh, Grand Maester Paisel, Paisel in uh, Game of Thrones. And he was uh, in, in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as, uh, I have to look up this name, Walter Donovan. Not a name I remembered. He's also in Your Eyes Only. Oh, yes, I saw that he was in a Bond thing. Is he the bad guy? Which, uh, apparently, the ruthless Greek villain Aristotle Christastos. I don't know if he's the bad guy. A bad guy, a definitely. Bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, we, we, I don't think we'll, we'll leave, we won't leave him here, but we can do a brief segue to The Countess, is played by Catherine Schell, who was a Bond girl. Oh, yes. Oh, I wrote this down. Which one was she in? Uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Ah, very good. Yeah, so they've got a, a little connection there between them. Yeah, definitely. Catherine Schell also appeared in, I haven't seen this yet, but she appeared appeared in the new Dracula TV show by Moffat and Gatiss. Cool. Yeah. Shall we mention the bit of trivia that we were introduced to? I think we should talk about everything we can to do with Julian Glover right this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning more things about him. I, I haven't actually looked through his rap sheet before, but he also voiced Aragog in um, Harry Potter and Chamber of Secrets. Ooh. Wait, hang on. Who's Aragog? The big spider. Oh, right. Wait, the Julian Glover yeah. did that. How no utterly idea, yeah. badass is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look him up on IMDb as well. I'm pretty sure that Julian Glover was in Ivanhoe, and I'm pretty sure that I said the exact same thing when we reviewed The Crusades, like, years ago. <laughs> in fact, yes, here's the thing. So he played Richard the Lionheart in The Crusades on Doctor Who, and in Ivanhoe, he played King Richard. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, he's got an impressive career. That's oh, absolutely. Sure. And what, pray tell, might he do with... A lifetime of in and out of different movies and TV shows. <laughs> well, I, after amassing a career's worth of memorabilia from uh, such franchises as uh, Star Wars, James Bond, Game of Thrones, and Doctor Who, Julian Glover is auctioning off a whole bunch of these items. And, and we have to say thank you very much to Andy Parkinson for sharing news of this on Twitter. So thank you very much, Andy. Thank you very much. Yeah. This auction is on. In case anyone's interested, the auction will take place on the 24th of July 2020 at 12pm BST. Link to this auction on the website on whoback1.com You know how it works. You'll find this this episode on whoback1.com and you can click through. There are some really cool items here, including a an autographed Scarroth action figure. Yeah, cool. Yeah, pretty badass. <laughs> if I was a collecting kind of person, there's a lot of stuff on there that would tempt me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> so thank you again, Andy. Right, next up, I have a suggestion. Okay. Duggan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Save it the best for last. <laughs> Duggan is freaking incredible. <laughs> like, yes. I, he's kind of just absolutely awful. <laughs> so amazingly awful and so amazingly great at the same time. <laughs> He approaches every single situation by punching it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and to him, this is the most sensical approach. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a, a nice little exchange between him and the doctor. The doctor says, Duggan, Duggan, why is it every time I start to talk to someone, you knock him unconscious? <laughs> I didn't expect him to go down that easy. <laughs> oh. 
don't understand heads, you shouldn't go about hitting them. <laughs> but what else do you suggest? <laughs> so good. I love him. In part three, he meets up with Romana. Romana's in, in the bar or in a cafe. And instead of yeah. entering normally, she's clearly just entered through a door or, you know, discreetly. We just hear glass shattering in the background. <laughs> Duggan walks in and Romana has the wonderful line. You should go into partnership with a glazier. You'd, you'd have a truly symbiotic working relationship. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's the same thing. Just after he does his entrance, he knocks the bottle of wine on the table to open it. <laughs> oh, just not. <laughs> I, I want to feel like there was just a lot of fun with that actor. I don't actually know who played him. Look him up in a sec. Yeah, do it. <laughs> but him, him and like the director or or someone you know who's kind of like putting in little little things for Duggan to just go thump. <laughs> A lot of that feels quite um, Douglas Adamsy as well. I mean, just it having does, yeah. having a character who like, this is what he does. This is his one comedic shtick, and he is going to take it up to eleven. Tom Chadburn is his name. Let's find yeah. out what Tom Chadburn has done. Oh, he shows up in a later serial as well, The Mysterious Planet. Oh. Ooh, a Colin mm. Baker one. Looking forward to that. Very good. Uh, he's done a few big Finnish productions, uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, lo- lots of TV stuff he's been in. Yeah. yeah. Like Seven, the the usual BBC drama soap things, The Bill, oh, yeah. Holy City. He's in Casino oh. Royale as Stockbroker, and he is... <laughs> And he also has a role on Game of Thrones in one episode. Oh. Hi, Septon Maynard. Okie dokie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Peter says he also comes back in Doctor Who's Trial of the Time Lord. That must be that Colin Baker one. Is that the same thing? Oh. I'm guessing so. I'm not 100% sure, but I think Trial of a Time Lord is similar to Key to Time and that we have a whole season where it's basically uh, like one continuous storyline. I get you. Yes. I believe so. I think that's the one that I'm quite excited about. This is where the dots tried by like, oh, was it the, the Vanyard? Uh, the Valyard. Valyard. Is it? Is it that one? I think yeah. so, yeah. I haven't seen it. Hey, we're already seven years away from it. <laughs> That's right. Hey, we're doing the... This is going pretty quickly, dude. Yeah. So quickly, actually, that going back to Julian Glover. Uh-huh. So we... Where are, are we actually in this series? We are definitely 79. Yeah. 29th of, of September. September. Yeah, exactly. September to October 79. Yeah. Not that long before Julian Glover was up in uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, actually. Mm. He could well have already filmed it, actually, by this point. Holy moly. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm going to have a look at the... Yeah, we're, Sorry, go for we're it. We're nearly done with... Seven, yeah, that's for sure. Going to be in the 80s, man. Something else dawned on me just before we met up on Skype today, and that is that... So this is in season 17. This is 105. And 108.5, the, the one that wasn't filmed between 108 and 109, is Sharda. We are almost at Sharda. Yeah. Awesome. I, right? Super, super <laughs> excited. And we are also, in fact, this is, I mean, this is the penultimate season of Tom Baker. We are almost done with Tom Baker. It's, oh, I, oh you know, I don't even want to think about it. I'm so sad about that. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. Okay. Hang on. Let's get back to this episode. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, yeah, Duggan. Duggan. <laughs> what, what, what is Duggan? What does he do? He used to do with some kind of British organisation, isn't he? He's, yeah. He's not a type of French things. No. I mean, but is he a policeman? Is he a detective? Is he a, maybe he's a private eye? I don't know. But whom does he work for? If he's a private eye, then someone has contracted him. I seem to recall, I don't think I've got it written down. He makes reference to the fact that there are 
six, like he knows of six buyers for a stolen Mona Lisa. Yeah. He's the one that gives Doc and Romana that information. Yeah. Seven. Seven buyers. There are seven buyers. Yeah. I kind of remembered him only saying six. Hmm. Okay. Oh, well. Yeah. It must be seven. I kind of half remembered the context of that being like he had a relationship with those buyers. Like, was he there to oh. check that there was something to purchase? I don't know. Maybe you're right. I don't remember that that particular context. I remember him saying to the doctor at one point that when he has his very introspective moment of just disappointment, where he's like, oh, I told my bosses that I was going to come here and I was going to check out what's happening in the art world. <laughs> and then I let this happen right under my nose or something. To that. Like, I, I messed everything up. But does he work for Interpol? Surely they can send someone more competent. Does he work for Scotland Yard? <laughs> then he has no jurisdiction in France. <laughs> Does he work for French police? He'd be French. <laughs> or he'd speak French. Um, yeah, I, I don't really get it. Wikipedia, he's noted as Inspector Duggan. Yeah, which suggests which, Scotland Yard. Yeah. Or private, in, I, private investigator, but... No, I, I think you're right. He's, he's to do with British police. But what is he doing in Paris? And, I mean, if he's... Is he just by chance hanging out next to the Mona Lisa? Or has he actually figured out that someone is going to steal it? And if so, how? Ah, uh, no, he makes mention of there being uh, like a run of thefts, I think. Ah. I think there being previous, which never comes back again, as, as I recall. Yeah, that's true. So I, I thought that, that was going to be part of the plot. There's, you know, it's not just there are now seven Mona Lisas. There are like seven Last Suppers, you know. Yeah. Like that. At one point, we get to see the Countess. We need to talk about the Countess as well. But at, at one point, the Countess opens this secret vault or secret uh, stash of artwork and just pulls out a first edition <laughs> Hamlet. The draft of Hamlet. Oh, sorry, yeah. the draft, yeah. <laughs> it's not even a first edition. It's like the, the draft, <laughs> which, which Doc then says he wrote because... Yeah. Shakespeare's... <laughs> <laughs> old old Willie's done his wrists writing too many sonnets. <laughs> At the same time, I, I think maybe the Doctor is kind of full of shit because in the same scene, he also, as he's reading out the lines, he goes, oh, I told him not to use that word. Or like, I, th this simile makes no sense or something along those lines. But if he wrote it, then he would have... He would have known that. Oh, whatever. Yeah, I did at the time, actually. <laughs> it's like, but, well, you wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, like, write something else then. <laughs> but in addition to that scene revealing that the Doctor, well, reportedly wrote Hamlet, this shows that uh, Scaglione and his wife, they have priceless collection. He At one point he says to, um, uh, I can't remember what the name of the henchman is, the Luger-wielding butler. He's oh, like, yeah. He's like, oh, just sell sell the Gutenberg Bible or one of the Gutenberg Bibles. And he's like, oh, okay. So he has, over the course of centuries, he has amassed a tremendous wealth of artwork and literature. Yeah. Go, going back to your previous point of, like, why doesn't he get his wealth in different ways? Yeah. Like, we see the Scaroff version of him in a hieroglyphic parchment. <laughs> oh my goodness, I forgot about that. <laughs> It's like, I don't know, you know, when they grave robbers went in and broke into all the tombs and, and stole all the treasures that are now kind of lost to history. Yeah. I, I don't know what they did with them. Presumably they sold them somehow or maybe they just melted the gold down. I don't know. But like he could have easily done what they did <laughs> in some form. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would assume that he in fact did exactly that because I mean, he was revered as some sort of god in ancient Egypt. In Renaissance Italy, he seemed to already be quite wealthy and his some he's somehow in league with the Borgias and um 
Yeah. So, I mean, he is certainly an, he's considered an aristocrat in Renaissance Italy. So he already has wealth. I don't fully understand. I mean, we don't get to meet all of his splintered personalities. No. As you say, someone's in ancient Egypt. Someone's in ancient Egypt. Someone is possibly 400 million years ago. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that either. No, okay. I, I'm guessing not. Because... Actually, you're right. No, because otherwise he would just stop the spaceship right then and there. I mean, I guess they could be just after the spaceship. Oh, that's up, true. Yeah, that's true. Which isn't helpful. No, that would no, be the I worst like... place to be in. <laughs> I'm not, you know, au fait with the laws of time travel, but, you know, it might be easier just two days back than 400 million years. <laughs> that would make perfect but, sense, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but presumably, he will have had access to Shakespeare. Yeah. Right? And somehow he will have gotten his hands on a Gutenberg Bible. Oh, I don't know where I'm going with this. But you know what? There was another line actually as well which I thought was going to lead to something, which which it then inevitably did not, but where they're being held at gunpoint at Scaglione's, and Duggan's instant reaction is to just pick up a chair and want to smash it over the countess. He's <laughs> 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 just the best. But <laughs> thought I made a note of this, but I didn't make a note of it. But the doctor says something like, hey, put that down, Duggan. That is an actual, I don't know, I'm just going to say something like, uh, uh, th- that's a King George the First." You know, like that chair that's from the reign of whatever. Louis Cans. Oh, Louis Cans. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Sorry. Yes, of course. It's Louis Cans. It's like, oh yeah, put that down. That's an authentic Louis Cans. And then he adds, it's in excellent condition. It looks almost new. Uh. And I thought, oh wait, there's some sort of time travel gizmo here where he's gone back, he's plucked some artwork, and he's now placed it in his home in present day, and it hasn't aged. But that never happens, or that's never revealed anyway. No, but it's it's totally what he should have done. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Because the other thing is, I kind of struggled to find the amount. I I feel like it was only like a hundred million dollars or something for these seven... Oh, I know, that is just the dumbest thing. (laughs) That's such an Austin Powers amount. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I literally wrote down, a hundred billion dollars for seven Mona Lisa's bargain. (laughs) Exactly. And also, is that all it costs to develop time travel? (laughs) You have a freaking Gutenberg Bible. Like, just sell a few Egyptian parchment scrolls and a Gutenberg, and you've got yourself a time machine. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, you don't have to live in luxury. If you are just funneling all of your cash into this research, and you have a whole bunch of other stuff that you can sell, and you're moonlighting as... Uh, you know, Thomas Crown, then you might as well just not have Louis Kahn's chairs, sell them as well, and invest in new, whatever, you know, bulbs for your time machine. Yeah. <laughs> I love this cereal so much. It's just so good. <laughs> I just had a, a puzzling thought, which it might just be a mundane dwelling, but how long do you think each of the Count's incarnations have been around for? That's a super good question. They're in different time periods, so it's really hard to gauge, actually. Yeah, he's he's not impervious to the passing of time, because otherwise, in present day 1979, there would be 12 of them. Presumably, they would just, you know, eventually they would meet up. He would never have to go back in time. Yeah. But that I guess that also suggests that at some point, point whenever one of these prior incarnations died of just natural causes or anything else like they needed to have been incredibly careful as not to die in public in during times when that happened
happened and also not yeah. to, not to make enemies which again maybe not the easiest thing when you're in league with the Borgias <laughs> and there's you know there, there are plagues going around and the things are not great but you don't want your body to be found by anyone because they'll just touch your face and notice that you're made of cabbage <laughs> yes <laughs> that there should be another hidden room in his with in 11 his dead bodies house. yeah like a <laughs> at least one sarcophagus <laughs> And ten coffins. <laughs> yeah, I really want to see that, an Egyptian sarcophagus. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice thing about this serial, though, is it, it properly plays with time. Yeah. And I think you make a point of this, Leon, quite often, that who surprisingly doesn't use that that often? <laughs> Nowhere near often enough, yeah. Yeah, and it's very good to have that in this, definitely. Agreed, yeah. And it's interesting because even though Scaglione is not able to travel through time, he is, well, as you said earlier, I mean, since he's he shares an awareness with everyone else in every every other iteration of himself, consequently, th- th- there is almost, like, he can plot through time. He can go, listen, yeah. buy this house because I will have put six Mona Lisas in the basement <laughs> or, you know, th- that sort of thing. Yeah. There might even be two of them that were really close together. And yeah, maybe. The, the future one. <laughs> Saying, meet me in this park <laughs> at 12 p.m. tomorrow. <laughs> be great. Even, no, it, it's like the time travel party thing. It's like, you know, turn turn up two seconds from now. <laughs> okay, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, this plot was meant to have slightly, well, to be slightly different. Uh, Firstly, either instead of or in addition to Paris, it was going to take place in Las Vegas. Uh, Wow. Slightly different. (laughs) (laughs) And there was going to be an element of gambling involved where Scaglione was going to use his technology his um, and and his i guess awareness of what's happening through time it, to his advantage in terms of gambling in fact one of the working titles for this was did i write this down i think i wrote this down the gamble with time uh, yeah nice. at some point he must have had a different name or maybe his species had a different name because other working titles included the time of the sephiroth and curse of the sephiroth pretty badass name actually yeah, because I'd skimmed through some notes about this, but because this is one of those where the original script... So I, th- I think it was something about the, the original script writer's personal life meant he couldn't do the edits. And then Douglas Adams sat down with someone else. It's credited to David Agnew, which I thought was a Douglas Adams pseudonym. But I think I read that uh, David Agnew was used by multiple. In fact, I think maybe we've even had this conversation on Who Back When before, where whereby like the writers' room just called themselves David Agnew. Yeah, it's apparently a pseudonym by the BBC. Oh right. So we've had it in the Invasion of Time already. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's it's one of those where it's been kind of group efforts, so they can't really attribute it to one person anymore. Oh, I see. So who was the other writer? I'm sorry, I cut you off when you were about to say that. So, I can't remember if you said already, but the original writer was David Fisher, um, who wrote The Stones of Blood and The Androids of Tara. Oh, nice. And I think, by looks of it, maybe didn't finish also the next serial, The Creature from the Pit. So possibly that's going to have a similar thing happen to it. I don't know. But yeah, submitted, like you said, The Gamble of Time. Oh, I see. Okay. 
Gamble with time, sorry. Uh, and Douglas then, Adams just wrote that out of it? I guess so. So Fisher is apparently a quantum media. He was going through a divorce at the time. Couldn't be around to do the rewrites. So script editor Douglas Adams was aided by Graham Williams to do a complete rewrite. Right, okay. A complete rewrite. That's how it's phrased. Over the course of a weekend, where Adams claims he was taken back to Graham Williams's place, uh, locked in the study and hosed down with whiskey and black coffee for a few days, and then there was a script. <laughs> oh, it's just the best time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> So wish, so wish I had A, the talent, and B, the means of somehow travelling back through time and working with those people. Yeah. That could be an interesting segue, actually. The people you know, <laughs> because there are a couple of cameos in this as well. Oh, yes. Go for it. Take it away. So, I, I didn't actually know the woman, Eleanor, Eleanor Bron. Bron, sorry. The connection is that she was in the Cambridge Footlights comedy, I don't know what you call it, really, uh, comedy troupe. Is that with the Monty Pythons? I don't know if she actually worked with them, but that's they went through the same thing. Right. Douglas yeah, Adams exactly. went through the same thing. Oh, did he? So I didn't know there's that. obviously, I believe so. Or okay. if not, if he, if he was not a part of it, he knew people in it. He was connected to it. Right. Um, okay. which, is, which is why I believe... Both of so Eleanor Bron and the other person we haven't mentioned yet, John Cleese, oh. are, are asked to hear this because Douglas Adams knew them from from those connections. Yeah, she's in another Doctor Who serial as well. She's in Revelation of the Daleks as Kara. There's another Colin Baker okay. one, uh, 1985. So a, a few years down the road, she is in a, the Beatles film help and apparently her <laughs> okay. name god her name inspired paul mccartney when he composed eleanor rigby what, what? wait what <laughs> that's freaking cool this that incredible that's <laughs> oh holy moly <laughs> And I will also have to let Marie know that she was in A Little Princess, which is one of Marie's favorite films. Oh, I, I'm not familiar with that. That's a nice little thing, yeah. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, we've got random cameos, which I actually thought this was going to be cheesy as hell when the scene started, but it's freaking hilarious. <laughs> it's wonderful, yes. <laughs> It's a gag that's probably been used in so many things, so many films, TV shows. I imagine it works in literary form as well of people in an art gallery critiquing the art, the, the merits, the artistic merits of something that is not a work of art. Yes. The, the latest example I, of it that I can think of is from the trailer of the new Wonder Woman film. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a gag that exists in many ways, but it's a gag that is just elevated to the stars when performed by the likes of John Cleese uh, and Eleanor Bron, whom, yeah, uh, yes. previously unknown to me. But, but yes, absolutely wonderfully done. She, I mean, she has the kind of punchline almost of when the TARDIS is disappearing. And <laughs> she's like, exquisite. <laughs> Absolute exquisite. <laughs> <laughs> And John Cleese is just still nodding. He has not... You think yes. that maybe for a second there he's going to go, am I going to get away with this? Am I going to get away with this? But no, he's like absolutely buying his own story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the reference I, I have for that, people mistaking things in art galleries, is, is Red Dwarf, as a lot of things are, where there's Rim Rimmer looking at oh, this particular three-dimensional object. is very interesting. Uh, pray tell, what do you call this? <laughs> it's like the light switch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so I, I couldn't buy it then. Not really. I need the lights on and off. <laughs> Before we leave Douglas Adams, by the way, 
Are you familiar with Dirk Gently's Real Estate Detective Agency or Detection Agency? Sorry, not super. I've I've tried to like read it and listen to audiobooks, watch the TV stuff, and never really got on with it. To be honest, I've never tried to read it. Uh, I don't really fancy watching the TV show. I think the TV show stars Elijah Wood. Yeah, I think so. I'm not super keen on that. Maybe I'll try the books at some point. But some trivia from Todd's Wikia is that Douglas Adams pinched some of the elements from this story, as in some of his own ideas from City of Death for Dirk Gently. Interesting. Yeah. Right, well, we haven't really talked about The Doctor or Romana yet. No, we haven't. Okay. But we should do. Yeah. <laughs> Which one would you like to start with? Shall we start with Romana? Okay. So she's Which... dressed as a schoolgirl. <laughs> yeah. Pretty... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's not really any way of getting out of that. I, I'm not sure what their intention was. <laughs> So according to trivia, th- this is this is the top trivia I think from Tardis Wiki. It's certainly the top trivia that I've that I've found online is that it was Lala Ward's and Tom Baker's joint idea to have her be dressed as a schoolgirl. The BBC originally wanted something like uh, uh, I'll, I'll use this word and uh, I mean judge it for whatever you like, but alluring in a different way. They were going to dress her in just a body stocking in like spandex in a onesie. Right. Not entirely dissimilar from oh what what is her name? Hang on, I'm gonna go to Hubak Wen's Vindex because I'm now suddenly I'm blanking on uh, on the name of a former companion. Uh, but uh, yeah, while, while I do this, the um, uh, so the BBC wanted to do that, which clearly was going to be a like oh well we're doing this for the I guess the dads in the audience and they get to see her in in a spandex onesie. Um, the one that I was thinking of was Zoe Harriet. She wore a also like a silvery glittery spandex onesie. Right. At least in in a few serials. So this is still from trivia. So then Lala Ward and Tom Baker together, I'm assuming that they are pounding it out already off screen. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is a a brief insight into the inner workings of, of their, you know, the private life. But they go... Let's put Romana in a schoolgirl uniform. And Lala Ward reportedly, like publicly, she says, oh, you know what? I thought it was a lovely idea because the little girls who watched the TV show, they didn't like wearing that uniform, but they would get to see me in that uniform and maybe it would change their mind about wearing school uniforms. But <laughs> she adds, however, she then received a whole bunch of letters from people, which she had not expected, from the fathers of their viewers saying, cool school uniform. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit gross. <laughs> Just a little bit gross. Sorry, I feel yeah. like I just bogarted the mic there. Apologies. Go for it, go for it. <laughs> Given the way you described they came up with this idea, I can't help but think like they were staying like nearby and realized they were late to set. And She's just, still like, wearing it. <laughs> yeah, and they're just trying, trying to explain it away. <laughs> well, you know, we've been thinking about what we could <laughs> do like directionally with her costume. And the... <laughs> wouldn't, it, wouldn't that be interesting? It's for the children. It's for the little girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I think she's fantastic, though. She is fantastic. So I I think it's ever so slight mixed bag. I think for the most part, we get the Romana that is a time lord, is capable of doing loads of cool shit. Um, She gets her kind of side story with Duggan, I think, for the most part. Like, you know, she's, she's doing that split thing where the Doctor's doing one thing and she's doing another. But then... 
It genuinely seemed like she kind of didn't have a backup plan for completing the work for Scaroff. Like she basically gave him the tools to wipe wipe out all of humanity. You know? Yeah, that seems maybe a little <laughs> negligent. Yeah, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> <laughs> like she kind of backpedaled a bit and said that there was this uh, fail safe that you could only go two two days back or something but it's like two days back from wherever you programmed it to go or something i don't know it was it was weird oh really but... i mean he goes straight to 400 million years ago exactly. yeah yeah <laughs> that yeah that didn't really work out as she expected maybe is it in this serial? I feel like it's in this serial that she says how old she is. I can't remember now, but it's she's yes. like 100, 150 or something. Either way, 25. Okay, yeah, right down the middle, right between my two, two estimates. <laughs> <laughs> that's obviously much old. I mean, I think she says this to Duggan, right? Isn't it? That's obviously much older than he is. She is wiser than he is. She's been around more and so on. But she's still. I mean, if if the Doctor is an adult, then she is. Like, Maybe, let's call her a teenager or something. So by Gallifreyan standards, she's still quite young and maybe inexperienced. Oh. And maybe that, to a certain degree, excuses that negligence. She's definitely adult by their standards. She might be like a 20-year-old in human terms, perhaps. But, you know, she's, sure. she's been through the, the academy stuff. Like, she, on paper, knows... Oh, I see. that's a, a good point. Of, like, she's, she's past university, sort of thing. <laughs> no, you're right. No, sorry, I take it back. That's a super good point. Okay, but she is still much younger than the Doctor. She is very inexperienced. I mean, her all of her experience, her, the sum total of her extra Gallifreyan experience is the experience that she's shared with the Doctor. It's basically last season. Yeah, true. Still, like, I feel like part yeah, of your university education as, as a Time Lord who, like, I kind of not quite sure how they operate when they're not the Doctor. Like, do they go and fix things in time? Or, but they, you know, they're Time Lords. Presumably, their reason Doctor is to do things with time. Like, yeah. as part of that, there are some fail safes you do, like, <laughs> even if you're threatened. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if you're under duress. I mean, it, she clearly has a fairly, you know, lesser fair attitude to regeneration already. She might as well go, yeah, all right, fine. You can shoot me if you want to. I'll just turn into a different person. I'll go back into the wardrobe and try a few more outfits. But I'm not going to let you destroy this entire civilization <laughs> and yeah. everything that this civilization is going to touch throughout space and time. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, not Time well, Lord, think... Time Lady. First time oh. that that term is mentioned is in this serial. Oh, I see. Ah, I missed that. It's in the in the cafe when they have that weird... I mean, this is also something that is touched upon and then never followed through and that is the time loop effect when they're in the cafe right before the luger wielding butler shows up yeah someone is drawing her and throws away the portraits because because he's just i mean that that artist is just a dick and then <laughs> and when the doctor unravels is or unfurls is he goes ah portrait of a time lady ah uh, yeah mm. interesting that yeah that explains that then because um i think i i still had in my mind i wasn't sure if it was a a new thing that came in with new who new who um <laughs> and, and, and missy but evidently not <laughs> but yeah i i still I, I struggle to read it any other way that romana fucked up Oh, no, you're shame. right. Yeah, which is a real shame. Yeah, that's true. But I still think that she's really cool in this. Fine, she fucked up. But yeah. She's so incredibly take-chargey and sophisticated and, and clever 
when it's just Ramona and Duggan, she turns into a much more sophisticated version of of the Doctor than the Doctor himself is when he hangs yeah. out with humans. So I, I've got some notes actually for, for both of them at the start of episode two, where how so they've been taken at gunpoint, I think, to the the, the Countess's house, the Count's house. Uh, they're meeting the Countess. Yeah. And Doc, Doc just commands the room, and he's like inviting everyone to sit down, and you know that was just top notch kind of Tom Baker Doctor yeah. stuff. I thought that was amazing. And then the Countess has put her bracelet in this like Chinese puzzle box, and oh. she's goading Romana, you know, it's like, oh, you can't possibly open that. And Romana just goes, you know, straight away, blah, 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 blah. Oh, can't do this. You know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's nonsense. Which is a really... <laughs> oh, wait, are you going to say you're going to like, you oh. liked it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wonderful. I love that we're on the opposite sides of this table. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was crap. <laughs> okay. Defend the scene. Defend it now. <laughs> I just think those Chinese puzzle boxes aren't as complicated as, like, there's a knack to them. Like, you can see stuff that, you know that things slide around, you you know that yeah. you just have to look for certain stuff, and it's just like, poke, 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 Yeah, it's poke. not really a high-level IQ test. Yeah, that's that's my point. It's like, to most people who have never come across them, it's like, this is a really hard thing to work out how to undo, but Romana's done her training, she's just super smart, whatever. She just goes, oh yeah, well, oh, I, yeah. Can see, I can see all the little hidden slidey things. Yeah, I've got another suggestion as well. Well, I mean, if, if this is this is the bracelet, right? We have to talk about the bracelet separately as well, so let's put a pin on that. But Countess puts the bracelets that she knows that stole before inside the box. The box is on the table, but the box is not attached to the table. If they are inclined to steal this bracelet and they know that the bracelet is inside the box, what's to stop them from just pinching the box? Like, it's just a... True. Just like, <laughs> boop! Take it off the table, put it inside your pocket, one of, you know, the Doctor's Mary Poppins pockets, and then between episodes in the serial, he'll just smash it with a hammer and take out the bracelet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but okay. I accept that maybe that's not the best thing to show up with. <laughs> There, there are there are other scenes where she is independently like piecing together stuff. So we've watched Doc going through conversations maybe with Scarif or something. Like he's getting the plot happen to him or at least yeah. explained to him. And then we get other scenes with Romana and Duggan and they're working stuff out. And well, mostly it's mostly Romana working stuff out. Like she's independently putting things together. And yeah, true. That happens I think on multiple occasions. And yeah, you can always see that she's pulling her own. Yeah. Yeah, there's a wonderful bit when they've escaped from the cell the first time around she's conducting an actual serious investigation and probably is so aware that the doctor is is so aloof that there's no point in even involving him in it <laughs> and he's chatting with Duggan and at a certain point he goes do you see what she's doing it's like yes I do do you know what it is no I don't shall we find out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was lovely <laughs> How do you feel that she compares to Romana 1? Ooh. Do you miss Romana 1? Hmm. Until you said it, I don't think I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess it's still very early days with this Romana. Yeah. I think, um, strangely, I'm doing quite well at assuming it's the same person, you know. Oh, interesting. Carrying over the same kind of character. Yeah. I don't know if that was an intention or if I'm just being lazy. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel? Do you see a difference between them? I hadn't thought about it until you said it, but actually, I do feel that it is the same character. I'm aware that it is yeah. a different actor or actress, but I'm actually maybe the skepticism that I felt in the beginning. I think we had a conversation about this uh, at the start of the last episode. Like, why not just make it a new character? Why, yeah. r why regenerates without any kind of explanation? So I think my skepticism around that has kind of faded because I do absolutely 
buy that it is the same character. But, oh... You know what? I don't know. Maybe it's too early to tell. I, I like both of them. Yeah. I think it maybe it helps that Romana 1 developed. We I think we saw her developing quite a bit, actually, even though she wasn't around for very long. Yeah. And so Romana 2 is getting a little bit of a leg up of just starting off where Romana 1 stopped. Yeah, with an uh, established character. She doesn't have to do yeah. all the origin story stuff. Exactly. And, and she already has a relationship with the Doctor, which I think you, you might have mentioned last week, actually. She's not as raw to traveling as well. Yeah, we are commenting that she's a little bit still straight out of university kind of thing, but sure. she's not. She's done a bit of traveling. She's not just the academic anymore. She's got the, the field experience. And I think that's showing in Romana too. And I think that's partly why it feels almost like it's the same character carrying on because we had that progression in Romana 1. Yeah, I think I think you've just hit the nail on the head. So what about the Doctor? I think <laughs> I could possibly go as far as this might be Tom Baker's best. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so happy <laughs> I think I, I always expected and I think the very first Tom Baker serial we had we had this immediate idea of what his doctor could be and probably would be and should be yeah um, it always had a bit of flippancy and humor with it yeah. whilst also commanding and you know being the doctor and I, I think that's wobbled a lot in past serials this one it was just it just felt like it was Tibbity it's like <laughs> yes Time Lord yes he's the doctor Yes, he's but absolutely bananas. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and as you know, we get to see his wild eyes many a time. And yeah, this is where that, like, where the meme comes from. I didn't realize it was from the serial. There's, I mean, if you Google image search Tom Baker Doctor, I'm sure you will find among the top results that picture of him waving like this. And that's from this serial. That's him just uh -huh. sitting down in one of the Louis Cans chairs, or Louis says, which, whichever Louis it was, yeah. <laughs> and just waving like that while showing his abundance of teeth <laughs> at the Countess. <laughs> he yeah. is wonderful. Possibly the same scene. I, seriously, I cannot remember the name of this, uh, of the Luger guy, of the henchman, but he's like, oh, yes, take us to the cell, will you? Show us the way. <laughs> like, oh, <yeah. laughs> he's like taking charge in his own capture. It's so good. Oh, it is. It's brilliant. Like, and that, yeah, that's what I want from Tom Baker's Doctor. I want that, that level of irreverence <laughs> and, and flippancy whilst in a really hard situation, like just not really giving a fuck and not, not taking anything seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Luger wielding guy might be called Herman. I'm not quite sure. Yes, you're right. It is Herman. Yeah. So we put a pin in the bracelets. Can you explain the bracelet to me, please? Some kind of scanning tech? Yes, with a, a micro scanner. Holocaust. Oh, was, did that come from the bracelet? I didn't realize. Oh, I, I don't know if it's the projector as well as the... Maybe, maybe it's more than just the recording device. I'm not sure. I think, I think it I'm makes sure sense it, for it to be connected to it in some way. He puts the bracelet somewhere, and then we get the, the Louvre scene. Yeah, which is great, by the way. Like the Louvre, yeah. I thought that was a beautiful <laughs> scene. But so the scanner Definitely. is... I mean, the scan is there to detect all the security measures at the Louvre, right? Yeah. So she, the Countess wears the scanner, goes to the Joconda, the Mona Lisa, scans the room just by virtue of wearing it, I guess. Has the thing stolen? Scaglioni is like a little peeved. It's like, but that was, that was a bracelet. Like, you, you lost it? It's just, don't worry about it. I, I sent Luger to go and get it. 
Yeah. But then she just like willy-nilly puts it inside a freaking Chinese puzzle box. This thing is the key to their entire operation. Without this bracelet, they have nothing. That's a very good point. (laughs) Also, by the same token, without it, they have nothing. But that bracelet consequently is everything. That is their plan. They just have a bracelet. And that bracelet tells them exactly how everything, like where everything is. But then how do they get into the Louvre? How do they actually steal the Mona Lisa? I get the details of how they get in, but they they have some weird device that changes the air molecules or something in the laser field. It like bends the lasers around (laughs) so you can grab the painting out. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) I'd forgotten that or I'd missed that rather. Which is awesome because it means the laser field is left there when Duggan and Romana turn up and Duggan just shoves his hand through it. He probably tries to punch the laser. Yeah. Oh, he's such a lunatic. <laughs> but also, how did they get in? How does Duggan, uh, how did Duggan and Romana get into the Louvre? I mean, they must break in somehow. They must dodge guards. They make a comment of like it's it's just wide open, like it's it's wide open. Bora's boxed at this point, and the only thing that's left is the the lasers around oh, the Lisa, which would. <laughs> I see. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yep. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know, but I think that's what it was. <laughs> I like that the theft occurs off screen. Like, I, yeah. Scaglioni is just chatting with uh, Kerensky at one point. I think this might even be the scene where Kerensky goes, I need more money. And Scaglioni just goes, right, would a, hun- would a million francs do it? And just takes a wad of cash, a million francs out of his breast pocket. But then someone just shows up from off screen and goes, oh, yeah, by the way, we stole the Mona Lisa. Oh, great. Cool. Can't wait to unbox it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take it through to the unboxing room. I'll get the camera. <laughs> A million hits on YouTube per second. Yeah. (laughs) In like 50 years, this will just be so amazeballs. (laughs) Freaking everyone out. Future talk. (laughs) I don't know, they don't seem very easily freaked out in 1979's Paris. Herman shows up and lugers everyone in a cafe. Life goes on. An episode or two later, the doctor goes back to the cafe, talks to the bartender, or the barista, in who's just the most blasé, nonchalant Frenchman there ever was. He's <laughs> just like, hi, it's me. It doesn't even talk to him, doesn't even respond. Leaves screen, comes back, gives him a note. It's just like, yeah, do you remember me? A guy showed up with a German gun from the Second World War and threatened to kill me in your <laughs> establishment. Do you remember me? Does this ring any bells to you, Mr. Barista? I was wearing a green jumper oh shit oh Oh, that's you yes 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 (laughs) (laughs) oh uh impromptu not soundbite because i didn't make a note of the timestamp for this but impromptu quote from the bar this is in part one the doctor going goss on three glasses of water make them doubles yes (laughs) i couldn't work out what my note meant actually i wrote down like drinking water like whiskey There are so many incredibly good lines in this. I think possibly all of the ones that I've made a note of are from The Doctor. Douglas Adams just went all out with Tom Baker this this time around. What a I think there are butler. a lot. Oh, sorry? I, yeah, I think there are a lot from The Doctor. I think there's maybe a couple from Duggan as well. <laughs> oh, oh, you're right. Yeah, Duggan gets a few as well. I've just written down, what a wonderful butler. He's so violent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a beautiful woman, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Count, I've got a, a nice line from the Count, actually. Uh, uh-huh. is, uh, like, yeah, nobody could be as stupid as he seems. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just another quick uh, quote with the Count and Duggan, well, and briefly the Doc. Uh, the Count saying, I came down here to speak to Kerensky, but he can't answer me. Uh, brackets, because Duggan's already punched him out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you throw any light on that? Doctor, no. Duggan, I can. Punch. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, at one point, Duggan rugby tackles his way through a medieval stone wall. Yeah. <laughs> this is after proclaiming that he has all the oh, machinery he needs, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> what about us? Sorry, not medieval. His it's 16th century, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, his yeah. shoulders. I mean, he just tackles these <laughs> the stone wall. It's fantastic. <laughs> He's a loony. <laughs> I don't think we get to see Duggan again. Do you know? Oh, I just kind of assumed not. He actually got a goodbye, which is quite rare. He does, yeah. I think he'd make a good character for some something in repeats, but no, he doesn't. He doesn't show up in any more on TV. He's. It looks like he's mentioned it in a Seventh Doctor novel, but that's it. Uh, I would have expected more audiobooks, maybe, with, with Duggan. I guess he's not got the most rounded character. No, but he's... <laughs> like maybe heart Yes, yeah. I guess he, he can be a bit part in other things, yeah. Yeah, certainly. The thing I wanted to ask you about, in part four, they go back 400 million years. They trudge around the primordial soup. Yeah. Do you also feel like there's... I mean, you you know the whole travel back through time, you accidentally step on a butterfly, you travel back to the present day and everything has changed, used in a fair few things. I feel like there's an H.G. Wells thing about it, possibly in The Time Machine. There's, or it, there, there might be something in a Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories episodes, whatever. Here they're like, they're genuinely trudging through primordial sludge. <laughs> Yeah. Aren't they already altering the course of, of human history? I don't know. Well, I guess, because this, this is the thing you mentioned earlier, that the ship, the Jagaroff ship exploding, kickstarts life on Earth. That's yeah. the, the, the factor of it. So maybe it doesn't matter if you go swimming in the primordial goo before oh, so it's before been then? activated. You know, I don't know. But you, you do raise a, a fair point that this is stupidly far back in time, like the butterfly effect, if there is such a thing, would have humongous repercussions from any little thing, surely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> like, for example, the doctor putting his hand in it and scooping it up and then patting it into Duggan's hand. <laughs> oh, no. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, surely that's in, in Time Law University. Uh, don't pat a cake with primordial goo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the doc definitely failed that module. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, the only other thing I wanted to ask you about was how do you feel about the different cliffhangers? I need to know. I need, I need my gym reacts to cliffhangers, which, by the way, we need a jingle for that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think what that jingle would be. I'll think <laughs> something, of something really tense that then just stops. <laughs> Well, the first cliffhanger we get is pretty cool. It's, like you say, it is a bit of a pointless reveal, but we get to see the Count is really Scaroff. Yeah. The alien. True. Which, I, that's that's the kind of ending I like more than the cliffhanger aspect, where it's just like a revelation where you're just like, oh my God. <laughs> Did that just happen? I cannot wait until next week. Whoa. Yeah, that kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't just 20 minutes of the tourist board advertising Paris weekends. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> 
the second one is a little bit weaker where it's uh, um the count is pulling strings back in the renaissance as well yeah kind of kind of felt at that point we maybe had all realized what was going on i don't know i think so yeah yeah so it's a little bit weaker oh he has a very nice uh green tunic on which they probably stole from some robin hood film What do we get in episode three? Oh, the professor being super aged to death. <laughs> oh, that's a poor old. Yeah, that's a badass one. It turns Kerensky into a skeleton. <laughs> like that as an ending is pretty cool. The fact that he just walks up to it's basically like kind of will you just check if anything's stuck in the barrel of my gun, please? You know. Or... <laughs> As I'd go stand in this time manipulation device and That's okay. see. Kerensky if doesn't know of any potential hazards of standing uh, next uh, to that. Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, in my notes, I um, equated it more to Blackadder saying to Baldrick, "Here's my fist. Can't you run towards it as fast as you can?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well done. Yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah, that's, that's it. That's Those are the cliffhangers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Shall we try to rate this or anything else on your list? I think we should tackle those rating bad boys. Let's do it. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la, 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 Ratings. Well, well, well. This is the point <laughs> where I have to summarize all of the stuff we've just talked about with a little bit of embellishment. <laughs> uh-huh. AKA my actual review. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cards on the table. I super love this serial. It's just good fun with the real heart of Doctor Who still visible. It probably helps that it's it's set in Paris and, and Paris is cool. It's showing off the best bits of Paris through most of this, this serial, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. Obviously hitting the main tourist attractions, but yeah, it's a nice, I don't know what the number would be, ninth character, say. <laughs> Paris itself, yeah. Yeah? Um, <laughs> I'm with you. I think there are some fair nitpicks you could have with this serial. We've we've pulled some plot holes um, out, of a, out of its woolly jumper, you know, which <laughs> I feel like you can hide around the back, you know, when you're sitting down, you don't really notice it. Or if, if it's just, just like me, I'm just thinking, I really like that jumper. I don't care it's got holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, um, I think, my justification for for the number I'm going to attach to this is that, yeah, there there are some silly things in here. There are some problems. Like, in some ways, a big negative, actually, there's no canine in this. And it's barely addressed. It's just Doc shouts shouts a greeting to canine when he goes into the TARDIS at one point. Which, yeah, it's it's not a massive thing. But it's it's a shame that they can't keep canine in in a consistent way. It's uh, always a bit of a forgotten aspect. But uh, there's some amazing stuff in here. But the Doctor, we've said already, is on absolute top form. I think I stand by my statement this could be tom baker's best serial he just gets an amazing script he does it really well he's obviously having a lot of fun and enjoying his time in paris probably but we've got an extended cast with the count and duggan being equally good in different very very different ways the count is generally quite menacing in in places we didn't really touch upon that you know he's he's actually quite a good villain whilst also just you know acting as a driver for the plot in, in a lot of instances and just being the debonair guy who's just kind of calling the shots but on, on occasion when he wants to be yeah he's pretty scary but like duggan i feel like we could dedicate an entire podcast <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> or just spend half an hour reading out lines and just laughing at his his exploits, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's just an insane character. Like, it shouldn't work. I should hate that guy as as appearing in an episode of Doctor Who, but I don't. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 
Romana is is good as well. There's just the minor minor niggle that she kind of plays into the bad guy's hands a bit, but throughout the rest of it, she's on on top form as well. It's really hard, I think, for me to want to pull too much fault with this. It's just a real nice thing to watch. So can't quite give it top marks. I get pretty damn close with a four point eight. Four point eight. All right. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Okay, right. Okay, 4.8 from you. <laughs> yeah, beat that, buddy. <laughs> okay, so I already told you, I started off, even before I pressed play, I was on a 5.0 with this one. Yeah. Because it's very dear to my heart, I, I, there's a certain nostalgia attached to it, and, and consequently a certain bias as well. This is intertemporal Thomas Crown Affair. This is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense and I don't care. This guy, I, I'm sure that there is somewhere between the episodes, there are unacted, unproduced pages of this storyline that show that Carlos Scaglioni, best name ever, just enjoys himself because th his plot is so dumb. It is entirely <laughs> unnecessary. There must be some other motivator to it and I'm assuming it's just the sheer delight that he takes in enacting it. But anyway, yeah, starting from the top, we have the Doctor, and you have said this may be his best performance ever. I think you're right about that. I think I agree with you. Yay, here's my buddy who agrees with me. That's right, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> <laughs> He is on absolute top form. All of his little one-liners, his nonchalance at the dangers that befall him, it just walking straight into the... the it, it, I mean, I was going to say the Bond villain's lair, but as you pointed out, he was an actual Bond villain. Just walking <laughs> in there willy-nilly and caring more about the furniture than his own well-being. I think to a degree he's just so sure of himself and that's what allows him to be crazy. And I love it. He's perfect. Romana or Romana 2. Yeah, I mean, I've, I feel like I've already warmed to her. I think she's great as Romana. I, I think she's a fantastic companion. Yeah, she messed up by building that machine for Scaglioni, but hey, we all make mistakes. And... Uh... <laughs> Most of them don't destroy the, the whole of humanity, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's the whole of humanity between friends? So, <laughs> but I, I think that she was great. In particular, I thought she was fantastic when dealing with Duggan, because if she was the James Bond in this situation, then the Doctor was the Inspector Clouseau, and I, I thought that she did the James Bond very well. You know. <laughs> Duggan himself, fantastic character. Something that only actually, while you were doing your mini, it dawned on me that we've had other characters that kind of parallel what Duggan is doing here, but they do it very differently. In the talons of Weng Chiang, the Doctor teamed up with Yago and, or Jago and Lightfoot. Oh, yeah. And they were these I mean, they were a crime-fighting duo. They were basically Holmes and Watson. And here we have him teaming up with another contemporary crime fighter of a sort. And in no way is Duggan as competent as Jago and Lightfoot. In no way does he is he as verbose. He doesn't have as many lines. But I think he is exactly as personable on his own as they were together. Loved him. A, a, a hilarious foil for, for the rest of the cast. Julian Glover is Count Scarlos Corleone. In, again, the craziest name ever. 
whatever. Carlos is like Spanish. Scaglione sounds Italian. I had to look it up. It means nothing, by the way. <laughs> he, Julian Glover was a Bond villain. Scaglione is a Bond villain. It's perfect. What else? I mean, we've already talked about the plot, and I, I don't care how bonkers it is. I love every nonsensical moment of it. But on top of everything else, it also has, or this serial also has a production value that is quite marvelous. We, we have these fantastic miniatures. We have the matte paintings from 400 million years ago. We have actual Paris. We have the lab. Scarlioni's lab is beautiful mm. with all the machinery in the background and the crazy time gizmo. I mean, someone had to build that. Just to, sorry to yeah, go steal thunder from you at this point, but yeah, I, I had that thought seeing the lab set first time possibly where it looked real. Like it, it isn't just right? a random Bunsen burner or a tape spool computer thing. It just, it all looks like yeah, they've just gone into a lab and filmed. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Apart from the I big mean, time I mean, device. In, <laughs> sure. But I mean, it's it's also like it's in the basement of a building with stone walls. It, it doesn't, it, it's not like it's in a hospital or anything like that. It's not in a modern setting, but it's very realistically set up. I'm totally with you on this. It, it looks made for purpose and it absolutely, like I buy it. I, I'm I'm totally on board. Yeah. Very well done production crew. Maybe it's that they saved money by shooting on location and therefore they, you know, uh, whatever. Um, it, by the way, also on the li- t- topic of production value, the Jaggeroth mask is iconic. That paired with that fantastic white suit. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I want, okay, seriously, I want Scarlioni's white three-piece suit and I want Scarlioni's beautiful green kimono. That was a kick-ass kimono. Oh, no, and I uh, need it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I get the velvet doublet or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah have it. it. You have that. I will have a... <laughs> okay, the next time we, we go to some sort of, uh, I don't know, I'm going to assume this is sexually slash morally dubious cosplaying. The next time we go to one of those events, you're dressing up as <laughs> Renaissance Scaglioni. I'm dressing up as Kimono Scaglioni, and we're going to have a blast. <laughs> so next one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. See you then. It's already in my calendar. <laughs> Just to round this off, we also get possibly the best cameo in the history of cameos. I mean, the the cameo... I'm going to assume that the cameo is named after George Cameo, who once, like, stumbled into frame in a movie and got recognized by mistake. I don't care. Henceforth, the scene with John Cleese is the definitive cameo. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, this serial is... Oh, you know what? Sod it. This is great. I'm so incredibly stoked right now. The... the, (laughs) This serial is, I was going to say, it's everything that I remembered from when I was a kid and less, because I did not remember how little substance there was to part one. But you know what? I've just talked my way back up again. I started at a 5.0. I had talked my, or we had talked me down to a 4.9, but that was just folly. I am back to a (laughs) 5.0. This serial is amazing. I want everyone to watch it right now. Why are you listening to this podcast? Press pause, watch it again, come back to this podcast. It is the best uh, 5.0 <laughs> awesome stuff <laughs> wait I have, to, I have to quickly add the, a bit of trivia about Cleese's cameo which we didn't oh, mention yeah. he apparently only agreed to, or I think both of them only agreed to do it that there was no pre-publicity oh, so right. that would have been a total shock to everyone like it was to us <laughs> how incredible would uh, that have been yeah awesome <laughs> Oh, shall we have a listen to what Podcast Land thinks of this? We definitely should, yes. No! 
Okie dokie, welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode, Podcast Land. We've got a whole bunch of listener minis for this one. No surprise there, because this is a this is a fan favorite, this serial. Um, yeah. So let's start off. First out of the gate, we've got Chris Dapps Paddock. Hello there, Chris Dapps. What up, Chris Dapps? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, podcast hitting. <laughs> I need to start drinking about two hours before we press record so that I'm in this frame of mind and this level of illiteracy when we start the episode. <laughs> I know, it wouldn't be a true podcast episode if it didn't have a little bit of tipsiness towards the end. <laughs> yeah, just deteriorating, yeah. Anyway, Kristab says, holy moly, one of the best serials in the history of Who. Hands down, yes, Scarath's mask is a bit stiff and rubbery, but his all-white three-piece suit more than makes up for it, and everything else in this story sparkles. The dialogue is snappy. The sets are gorgeous, all caps. The location shooting is excellent. The characters are amazing. Who else wants a Duggan spin-off over here, buddy? Heck, (laughs) even the prop work is phenomenal, and to top it all off, John Cleese pops in. This is the jewel in the crown of an excellent season, and it beautifully showcases Douglas Adams' ability to write truly excellent science fiction. Though the credits were split with two other writers, according to Mr. Adams, he was basically marinated in whiskey and black coffee, forced to write his entire story over the course of a weekend. (laughs) Absolutely one of the stories to use when introducing someone to Doctor Who. And Chris Dabbs gives this 5.0. That is an excellent rating, Chris Dabbs. (laughs) Loving it, 100%. Also, good idea to use this to introduce someone with. I like it. I think maybe Uh, they'll get a little frustrated in the beginning of part one, but overall yeah i think it's a good one yeah yeah good rating good review thank you very much christophs yeah thank you next up who we got jim we've got ed such he's such a nice guy such a nice guy hey ed hey ed ed starts just a heads up that i might go over 250 words on this mini review as i've been thinking about this story a lot lately no you didn't (laughs) (laughs) you're within the word limit don't worry about it buddy (laughs) yeah all good so i shall continue in how i met your mother it is presented that star wars is almost a comfort blanket that one of the titular characters watches in sickness and in health in my case this applies to doctor who and a handful of stories that i will watch when i fill up my lowest last year when my grandfather died one of the first things i did when i got home from work was put on city of death oh my my condolences ed Ed continues, This is the perfect combination of Adams's humour and Baker's eccentric doctor, and is, in my opinion at least, the high point of the late Tom Baker era of the show. Ed continues, I am obviously viewing this through rose-tinted spectacles, but I honestly cannot pick a flaw with this. Julian Glover is probably one of the best one-off villains the show has ever had. And he concludes with a, God, I hope you like this one. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Duggan. And he has separately added his rating, Jim. What is it? Oh, it appears to be five violent butlers out of five. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic, Ed. Thank you so much. (laughs) People who are not Ed, please do tell Ed how much you agree with him. He can be found online at edsuch and also via the Doctor Who Impossible blog, which you absolutely need to check out. It's very good stuff. So thanks very much, Ed. Thanks, Ed. Next up, we've got Joe Ford. A.K.A. Doc Ho. 
What up, Joe? What up, Joe, indeed. Joe starts. The doctor headbutting Duggan's gun in the gallery. The close-up <laughs> of the detailed eye at the Jagaroff mask at the end of episode one. The saxophone music that plays when the Countess appears. The centuries that defied me shall be undone. The pan across prehistoric Earth in the opening seconds. The effect of the chicken and the egg of a doctor asking the obvious question. The doctor's reaction to the cold of the guard's hands. Duggan's method of opening a bottle of wine, the telephone book, the most important punch in history, too much joy, too little time, I guess the only bad thing you could say about City of Death is that it touches upon genius to such an extent that it leaves the majority of the season of the era it takes part in, but I hope you don't think it crass of me to say, but the remainder of the classic series a little embarrassed to exist beside it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe concludes his review with ambitious, camp, funny, atmospheric, perfectly performed, directed and scored Doctor Who. Little more needs to be said. So I don't think we need a drum roll to tell you, Leon. Yeah, Joe gives this 5.0. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Excellent mini. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, people who are not Joe, here are a few things that you need to check out. First off, say hi to Joe online and check out his Doc Oho reviews. He can be found at Doc Oho. That's Doc. Oh ho! But also, on top of that, Joe has very recently started his own Doctor Who podcast. It's called The Nymon Be Praised! Or Nimon Be Praised! We haven't gotten to that classic Who serial yet. Not sure how to pronounce it. But check out at Nymon Podcast. And yeah, tell him hi from us. Some stuff. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Next up, we've got Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> And so it's a house. <laughs> <laughs> the energy levels have gone weird. <laughs> yeah, they have. I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Andy has forewarned us saying that he <laughs> he's aware of the 250 word limits, but that it's difficult to stay within those parameters. Unfortunately, uh, Andy, really sorry, it, rules are rules. So we're going to read the first 250 words of your review. But this is a seriously excellent maxi review. It includes some hilarious boobs. So please, podcast land, go to whobackwhen.com and read this review in its full in the meantime, here's a little taster. A one-eyed spaghetti-headed alien splintered in time. International art thieves and the city of love give us a rip-roaring tale. Tom Baker and Lala Ward are at their best as the Doctor and Romana dash around a table wine 1979 Paris in order to find out what is causing time distortions. They are at first tailed and then assisted by Duggan, or Thuggan, <laughs> the world's <laughs> least inconspicuous PI, a man slow-witted but quick-fisted, whose first instinct is to thump anyone the Doctor happens to speak to. Thuggan saves the day, laying out Spaghetti Head with one punch, <laughs> allowing the life to begin, thus saving the whole human race. A similar scene about life on Earth being prevented by time travelling is also seen 15 years later in the Star Trek The Next Generation finale. All good things. Oh yeah, that's true. That's very true. With punching someone out? Well, there's an element. It's as if memory serves. It's the Q continuum kind of sending Picard back. This is Picard before Picard deteriorated into what is currently Picard. Let's not even get into this. It's a really good episode. Watch. Uh, it's a double feature, actually. All good things. Very good. Yeah. Nice reference. <laughs> Andy continues. <laughs> Sorry. Andy continues. 
this story, mostly rewritten by Douglas Adams, is dripping with his humour, and some of Tom Baker's one-liners are the best in the entire history of Who. His description of the Countess as a beautiful woman, probably, is one of the many to cherish. Romana gets her share of one-liners too, and it's clear that both Lala and Tom were having lots of fun making this story. While we're talking about Romana, says Andy, her costume must be one of the most memorable and popular, especially with dads, apparently. (laughs) Which is more than can be said in her next story. Oh! And we're going to dot 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 out here to the end a little bit just to give you Andy's summing up and rating which is Douglas Adams and the cast are on top form and I award it five Jagaroffs out of five very nice thank you very much Andy oh. <laughs> This is an excellent maxi review, Andy. Thank you very much. Please, Podcast Land, head on over to the website. Check it out there. It is really, really good. And you can also high-five Andy online. He can be found at Caffrey's 71. That's Caffrey's 71. <laughs> Next up, we've got Nick, a.k.a. The Doctor. What up, Nick? A.k.a. The Doctor. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Nick. Nick starts with a minor apology saying, I've slacked off on reviews during lockdown, but well done on keeping the podcast going. Oh, Thanks, thank Nick. you very much. And don't worry about it. Yeah, hmm. no apology necessary. Yeah, glad you're well. Uh, but, of course, Nick can give a review of this one, because we have it right here. <laughs> <laughs> it comes in the form of an A and B. All right. Uh, a, B. It is the first Doctor Who serial I ever watched as a kid, way back when in the 1890s. <laughs> Oh, wow. Nick is also a time traveler. (laughs) And B, if some random dude was to walk down the street or up the street, depends on the gradient, and ask me my favorite classic cereal, I would answer that this one is approximately 37.6574547.45 times out of 100. I think Douglas Adams had a hand in it, and that definitely helps. Doc and Romana are great, literally at their best. The main villain is in The Last Crusade and, again, is brilliant. The story is brilliant. The random Parisian montages are brilliant. And (gasps) Duggan! All caps. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's fair to... He hasn't included a rating, but, Jim, would you say it's fair to assume that it's pretty high? Yeah, I'd say it might be a (laughs) 5.0. I think so, too. (laughs) Well, maybe not. Maybe there's a wiggle room. Maybe it's a 4.9. I don't know. Somewhere in between. Uh, 37.6574574 times out of 100, I would say, is probably a 5.0. Nick, thank you very much. Excellent mini. Love it. And also, really loving your enthusiasm. Yes. Thank you, Nick. Next up, we have, I believe, a... New review. (laughs) (laughs) Namely, Matt... Apologies if this is a mispronunciation of your surname. Tylee! Might also be Tilly. (laughs) but we're pretty sure it's matt there we go (laughs) hey (laughs) maz welcome aboard very very super duper happy in fact to be traveling down this temporal road with you uh matt actually confesses at the start of his review that i've been binging on your podcast and have nearly caught up nice one for jumping in review at this point if you've not even caught up yet oh yeah thank you Uh, very much in his review proper matt says city of death is an instant classic time travel mona lisa's green rubber-faced alien and john cleese i loved it as a kid and still enjoy it now although when i realized that romana and the doctor were probably actually having sex by this time in their relationship it did take the sheen off a bit (laughs) that's the opposite for me (laughs) what 
were they thinking? Matt continues, dressing Romana as a schoolgirl. Shocking, he says. <laughs> it was lovely to see actual Paris, and Julian Glover's villain was delicious. I can't wait for this story to get the Blu-ray treatment. Goodbye, Duggan! And seven billion <laughs> exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> In his excitement, Matt also forgot his rating. (laughs) (laughs) You are not alone this week. Which, of course, is a very high one, being 4.8 out of 5. Where did those 2.2 points go, Leon? (laughs) He says, 0.2 points are removed for having been visualizing the Doctor and Romana in all sorts of 1970s-style joy-of-sex poses. (laughs) 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 Why is this not a 5.2, Matt? (laughs) (laughs) People of Podcast Land, please high-five Matt online he can be found at matt 1701e like the enterprise oh right that has meaning okay i'm I'm assuming otherwise that is a fabulous coincidence (laughs) (laughs) matt thank you so much again and welcome aboard awesome stuff matt welcome (laughs) next up we've got paul warren hello there paul what up, Paul? Paul starts, City of Death is one of my favorite classic Who stories, which doesn't feature a recurring monster such as the Daleks or Cybermen. Not only are the two regulars on form, K9 doesn't get to trundle around Paris for budgetary reasons, but the guest cast is also on par with Genesis of the Daleks. Julian Glover excels as the Count, with some of the best lines in the story, and despite being an incredibly famous actor, he's still happy to talk about the story for the DVD extras. Oh, hmm. what a chap. Paul continues, I love the character of Duggan and the way he solves every problem by hitting it. <laughs> the fact that he ends up saving the human race this way is a nice touch. Even Herman gets some decent dialogue and screen time. Unusual for a henchman where that role usually involves a stuntman with no lines. I like how the Doctor writes, this is a fake on the back of the Mona Lisa, which may be a nod to Tom Keating, a forger who left clues including writing the same thing behind his paintings. Oh, Oh, interesting. Yeah, very cool. Paul continues, one very minor thing. Star Wars has been mentioned on the podcast a few times, and I did wonder if the line, help us, Scarath, you're our only hope, <laughs> was a nod to episode four, or just a coincidence. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even spot that. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> that may very well be a nod. Is General Veers in A New Hope as well? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like that may very well be a nod at it. Excellent observation. Uh, Paul concludes with a rating, namely... Overall, this is a great story with no major flaws. 4.5 out of 5. Excellent. They're probably a little bit more down-to-earth than the rest of us. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, you've not been swayed to the Disney Heights as as many of your companions. (laughs) Great stuff as always, Paul. Thank you very much. Very good stuff. Thank you very much. And people who are not Paul, please, if you're not already following Paul online, then what are you doing with your lives? He can be found at P. Waring. That's P. Waring. Thanks, Paul. Excellent. Last up, but by no means least, it's that Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. Michael has provided us with a dialogue between himself and his wife. Shall we perform said dialogue, Jim? And if so, which role would you like? I'm imagining that is the intention. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
I don't I don't mind either way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll start then. Okay, podcast land. I'm Michael. Jim is Michael's wife. Uh, by which I mean my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere out there, someone's fantasy has just been fulfilled. <laughs> Someone is penning some some slash fake as they're listening to this podcast and then just breaks their pen going, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Michael, you were saying? Yes. Our marriage has strained to breaking point under lockdown, so we're watching this together. It's the creme de la creme of classic who. It had better be. We're going to miss National Theatre Live. City of Death is way better than National Theatre Live. Why is she dressed as a schoolgirl? That's a bit weird. Uh, it's a French fashion thing. Isn't it great how they're just running around Paris? There appears to be a lot of that. Confused Parisians are staring at the camera. <laughs> is this really the best of old who? Classic who. And yes, it's in the top 20 after all 14 seventh Doctor stories, of course, <laughs> including the TV movie and the Doctor Who East. Extenders crossover. <laughs> the what? <laughs> Look, it's Julian Glover. Who? Julian Glover. You promised me John Cleese was in it. That's episodes away. Oh, there's more than one episode? <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing verbal scout. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I can't tell whether this is supposed to be serious or funny. It's Douglas Adams. Wait until the next episodes. Sharp, witty dialogue and a timey-wimey plot that actually works. Complete with fake Mona Lisas and a time paradox that births humanity. I like the blinky-blonky music. I agree. It was the best of the scores by the late, great Dudley Simpson. Um, quite. Uh, well, it's a lot better than the rubbish episode with the candy man you forced me to watch last year. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> <laughs> Michael, she's a keeper, okay? You're a very lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, no offence intended. If offence given, I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, likewise. <laughs> uh, Michael does add a summary and a rating. In summary, he says, The sacred experience of episodes two to four enjoyed in splendid isolation. Yes, I expect that from that dialogue, Michael. <laughs> and Michael gives us a rating, of course, of... 4.9 out of 5 servings of the finest caviar that a classic who has to offer, if somewhat underappreciated by Killjoys. <laughs> Very good stuff. Thank you for that interesting glimpse into your, <laughs> your marriage, Michael. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to digest that. I might need some time, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you. Definitely thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Very good stuff. Podcast lands. Presumably you're already following this man on Twitter. If not, then get on it. Michael can be found at bad... Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. No more underscores. Thank you Stop very much, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that concludes our City of Death review. I've had a, an absolute blast with this. Thank you very much for, for this chat, Jim. Thank you, Leon. Oh. Thank you, Podcastland, for listening as far as you have. Yes, thank you so much. But Doctor Who doesn't end here. Next up, we're going to be reviewing a, a, a new Who episode, namely The Magician's Apprentice, after which we're back with Tom Baker for what, Jim? The Creature from the Pit. <laughs> At some point, we'll also be reviewing a big Finnish audio drama, namely Relative Dimensions. And in the bonus channel, who knows? We'll figure something out. But in the meantime, you can say hello to us online as well. Jim, I believe you are available on the Twitter sphere. You are quite correct. I can be found at Jimmy the Who. A Jimmy the Who, you say? That is exactly what I said. You are using your listening ears today. Well done. <laughs> I just wanted to confirm my suspicions. <laughs> <laughs> 
Excellent branding. You can find me online as well. I am at Ponkin for the time being. I'll rebrand at some point. And, uh, and that's about it, really. Thank you so much for listening. You have been a lovely audience. You always are one. Until the next time, please rock on. Be rad and excellent to each other. Don't forget there's still a global pandemic out there. So please be careful. And ciao-ciao. Yeah. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hooray! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. Who back when?